Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Parenting in an online world can have some advantages, also has some dangers and problems. We'll be talking about it on Access Utah today. We'll be talking with tech-savvy Utah parent Jonathan Choate and with Dr. Jim Taylor, author of several books including Raising Generation Tech, Preparing Your Children for a Media-Fueled World. We'll ask you what your concerns are. We'll also ask you for success stories, raising kids successfully in our online world. Do you think we put too much information about our kids out there on blogs, Facebook, etc.? How do you keep your kids safe in an online environment? Does today's technology divert kids away from better pursuits or provide them with valuable skills? Do you worry about the amount of time your child spends in front of the computer, television, or cell phone? Access Utah follows the news. Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Parenting in an online world gives us some advantages, also some disadvantages and dangers. That's our topic for today's program. We'll be talking with tech-savvy Utah parent Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technologies, is it, Jonathan? Yes, uh, thanks for uh, uh, coming back with us. And uh, Dr. Jim Taylor joins us. He is uh, with the Trium Group. He has a Ph.D. in psychology and uh, is an adjunct professor of psychology. Also author of several books, including Raising Generation Tech, Preparing Your Children for a Mu- Media-Fueled World. We're going to ask you what your concerns are in this online world, uh, raising children. Also ask you for some success stories. Maybe we can educate each other and help each other. Do you think we put too much information about our kids out there on blogs, Facebook, etc.? I'm going to tell you a story about a friend of mine who recently took her blog private because of those concerns. Uh, in an increasing online world, do you feel you gain or lose the ability to know what your kids are doing? And how do you keep your kids safe in an online environment? Uh, Dr. Jim Taylor, welcome to the program. Good morning. Glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for, uh, for joining me. You're in the Bay Area, I believe. Um, in Marin County, north of San Francisco, yeah. All right. Uh, parent of a couple of kids, I think. I have two young girls, um, almost eight and almost six. Yeah. Oh, all right. And uh, Jonathan, you have? Uh, I have a variety. A variety. A three-year-old, yes. th- almost 14, and an almost 17. All right. All boys. So a variety of, uh, of parenting challenges and, and opportunities. Yeah, that's the nice way to put it. Um, so uh, let me tar- start with, uh, with Dr. Taylor. Um, as we think about the opportunities and the challenges, the uh, of course, this is a great boon to our children. Technology prepares you for a career. Uh, helps you to learn at an accelerated pace. But there are also some dangers. What uh, what are some of the top two or three uh, things that you, you're concerned about, Dr. Taylor? Sure, Tom. Let me preface this by saying that I'm no Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. I'm not against it. I'm very immersed in it. I write and speak extensively on the topic. Um, at the same time, I, I understand that there are both wonderful benefits, as you mentioned, but also some real risks. And I think the most basic risk is that children become um, literally, physiologically and psychologically addicted to technology. Um, And there's some really great research out that shows that the ping on a smartphone, the vibration, um, it creates the same neurochemical reactions as gambling, drugs, and alcohol. And so, and we see this with with adults who can't put their, their phones down. And so for me, technology should be a tool that enhances the quality of kids' lives, not a toy and not a need. Those are the critical distinctions for me. 
Dr. Taylor, you're, you're breaking up a bit. I wonder uh, if we could uh, try calling you back and establish a, a little better line here. That'd be fine. Okay, thank you. Uh, in the meantime, uh, same question to you, Jonathan. You uh, you know, there, there are some great advantages, but uh, what are your concerns? Yeah, well, there's it's a double-edged sword. They all are. Anytime we get some of these great advantages, they can always be used for nefarious or just inappropriate purposes. Uh, and I think with children, it's a, it's a fine line at, to, to walk. And the most difficult thing is often, I, be, I believe it's getting less so, you know, I, I, 15 years ago or so, you would consider that the parents knew very little about the, the you know, online technology as opposed to you know older children because they simply didn't grow up being exposed to it. Now, I did grow up being exposed to it, and I was on the very early stages of it, you know, the very early PCs when internet was, you know, 2400 baud modems, etc. Uh, but I grew up on the, you know, the, the beginning stages of that technology revolution. And of course, now I work in it, but I think a lot more parents are less um, technologically, you know, the gap is less between what the older children and the parents know that it used to be. The parents are a little more savvy. They've been learning. But there still is a gulf as far as what technologies are out there and how to, you know, how they can be overcome. Kids seem to not have that fear um, that adults have. If they're not used to something, they just generally will leave it alone. Whereas we all know, children, you know, curious children will just start pushing until they find out what it does, mm-hmm. which means they either learn it or break it or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's how I learned, is I broke things a lot until yeah. I had to figure out how to fix them. <laughs> Dr. Taylor, we have you back, I believe. Um, I'm wondering what Jonathan just said, that, that the, he thinks the gap is narrowing in terms of knowledge about technology. I, I just read an, an article that said that uh, kids are leaving Facebook in droves, they're, they're going over Twitter. You're always going to, as a kid, want to have a little bit of a separation between you and, and your parents. Uh, you know, your parents aren't cool. Uh, but, but I wonder if you see a, a narrowing of that gap in, in terms of uh, com- comfort with technology on the part of parents. Well, I think you see a pretty broad spectrum. I see parents all the time at talks I give where they, all they know how to do is use their iPhone. Um, they're not at all tech savvy, whereas, of course, you're also getting parents who are very involved in it. And as with future generations, we haven't had a generation of parents yet who are digital natives. That'll be coming in the next decade or so, in which case that gap will close. But, but certainly, the, I think the real challenge is that technology, in recent technology has evolved and goes out on the market so quickly that we don't have time to examine the ramifications of the technology on, on children, on families, on our lives in general. And it's only in the rearview mirror that we can say, okay, how is this going to affect us both positively and negatively, and how can we take advantage of the benefits while reducing the risks and costs? But by then, it's already too late. We're not going to stop technology, that's for sure. So for me, the, the main thing for parents is to be as well-informed as possible and to make deliberate decisions, thinking in terms of how can this help my child, how can this hurt my child, uh, because we, I don't think government should play a role in, in how we raise our children or how we use technology. But parents need to be very thoughtful, and that's difficult if, you, A, you don't know the technology, and, B, it's just easier to just give them the iPad and let kids do their thing. We're going to be talking about several issues. One of them is safety. I have a friend who recently took her blog private because she thought there's too much information about her daughter out there uh, and the amount of time that uh, kids spend in front of uh, electronic devices. I want to follow up, uh, first of all, Dr. Taylor, with, with what you were so- talking about, addiction. You, you, yes. you do see kids who are addicted to devices. 
Oh, no doubt. And certainly the research is suggesting that we, that it has that same physiological effect. And so kids, uh, you know, are texting so much and, and are tweeting and on Facebook and so on so much. And a recent uh, study back in 2011, I believe, um, looking at uh, the Kaiser Foundation, looked at the amount of time kids spend in front of non-school-related <laughs> screens. And what they found is uh, about seven and a half hours a day on average kids are spending. And if you think, how is that actually possible if they're going to school and sleeping and eating and other things? And so the sheer amount of time kids are spending um, is, is a real problem in several ways. Um, most importantly for me are opportunity costs. Because if they're spending that much time uh, in front of a screen, that means t time not spent being active, and of course we have an epidemic of obesity in our country. Um, it's time not studying. It's time not interacting with friends and family. Jonathan uh, Cho, do you, do you see cases of addiction or, or close to that? Yeah, I, you know, I, as was as you were talking about, that, I was thinking about myself. I, you know, I work in a technology field. I'm on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you know, how are these, you know, the the little signals? How do they affect me? And and I can see that they definitely do. You know, when I hear the little buzz of an email um, with the phone two feet from my head at night, I, you know, I'll sometimes have to fight that urge to say, should I really check it? I know it's two o'clock in the morning, but it might be important. Um, and so, yeah, we definitely respond to those things in a, you know, almost an endorphin rush kind of a scenario. Um, I have found that I'm actually getting less of that than I was as I, you know, as we, as the technology gets more configurable. Um, we can, you know, put schedules on things. We can, um, you know, I, you know, again, maybe it's just personal maturity, you know, we'll, you, we'll put that in with a little grain of salt as far as maturity <laughs> goes. But, um, you know, we can compartmentalize a little better because we don't feel like we're going to miss things as much. I would, I would feel like if I didn't catch something immediately, it might be gone. But I'm so much more comfortable with it now that I know it's going to be that there's no there's no worry. It's I can look at it later. It's no big deal. If it's important, they'll call kind of a scenario. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, Dr. Taylor, I was reading uh, some of your materials and you are advising, I believe, against what might be temptation for some parents. Uh, which is to just unplug your kid. I mean, I don't know if you can, but, you know, uh, my parents tried to raise me a little bit that way. Of course, I, I grew up in, a, in an era where we didn't have most of this stuff. But, but just vis-a-vis -vis television. We didn't have a television in the house. That was in part to my parents. But I found a way. I went to the next-door neighbor's. And uh, a very kindly old couple, I spent hour upon hour watching, you know, whatever they were watching. And, and I, I guess you could say in later years, I became sort of addicted to television. So I, I guess you can't keep uh, kids away. So should you unplug your child? Well, that's a really a personal decision that parents need to make. Um, we're raising our children. Um, they, they go to a school where there's no technology. And our kids are still young, but they've never watched TV. They've watched a couple of movies. We don't let them use, play on the computer. Um, because a lot of parents are afraid that if, kids, if they don't get technology into their kids out of the womb, then, uh, then they're going to fall behind the technological curve. But what people need to realize is that tech, kids are going to become tech-savvy almost instantly as soon as they're exposed to it, because it's, kids are simply are good at that, and that's the culture they're brought up in. And what, um, what's making people successful, if you think about the Zuckerbergs or the Jobses or the, um, um, the Gateses, is not that they are, were so tech-savvy when they were young. It's that they were creative, they were innovative, they were free-thinking. And, and for me, that's the key, that it's not the technology early on that matters. It is teaching them the life skills, the ways of thinking to enable them to become successful later in life.
What would so, your advice? So the real challenge is, well, again, I think kids don't need to have their own computers. There need to be limits set. That's the biggest thing. Set limits and control the type of technology kids are used. And I'm not going to be prescriptive and say, you, you can't do that, you have to do that. Um, that. These are personal decisions, but I'm going to go back to that notion that parents need to be deliberate about the choices they make. Because what I found, you know, you brought up the issue, and this is an issue that my wife and I discuss often, is when you withhold things from kids, whether it's candy or iPhones, is it, do you um, ascribe to the forbidden fruit theory? Or the, the whatever message they get early in life is what they're ultimately going to return to theory. And the research, in my belief, is that whatever exposure they have early on, whether, whatever attitudes and beliefs and values that they hold early on in their life, ultimately that, that's what they're going to probably come back to or stick with throughout because they, they develop a sense of priorities. Okay, you know, my parents used technology, but only as a tool. They didn't plan it. They didn't talk it in a lot. So that's the way I come to perceive it. Mm. Jonathan, I wonder what your uh, answer to this but Let me preface it this way. I was talking to a friend the other day uh, who said that he didn't want his son to have, you know, the, the iPhone, you know, maybe have a dumb phone, but not have, not have a smartphone. Uh, his son is fairly young. Um, but he was talking about even growing up because he, he didn't want his son to be one of those people in the back of church or back of class, you know, goofing off with, with the technology. He wanted, wanted his son to pay attention. I wonder what your advice um, I, the first thing I think you're absolutely correct in that limits have to be set and, and deliberateness, you know, don't just because it's there, don't let them have it. Uh, you know, there's a couple of rules that I put on that are hard and fast rules. Uh, you know, the first thing is, is there is no such thing as privacy with children's, uh, devices. Um, you know, I see it as a popular meme in movies all the time. The teenager feels betrayed because their parents looked at their texts. You know, my children, you know, two of my children have phones. The other one's a little young. Um, one's a dumb phone. Actually, they're both dumb phones right now because they keep losing them. Um, but uh, there is no such thing as privacy, and they know this before they got it. They know that I have to have the password to their Facebook page if they're allowed to have one. They know I have their email password. They know I can take their phone, and that's part of the deal. There's no such thing as, you know, as this, that's my stuff. No, it's not. It's mine. I'm letting you use it. Uh, when you pay for it and you move out, then that's fine. It can be yours. Um, and, every, and then all of those things need to be kept in a public area. Uh, particularly computers. You know, tablets, it becomes a lot more difficult because they, you know, you can't chain them somewhere. Uh, you know, so tablets need to have some protections on them. I have all boys and, you know, I have now teenagers, so there's certain things you have to be, you know, v wary of. Uh, but the computers are all in a public area. The screen is facing the middle of the room. And it's not that I don't trust them because I do. It's that, uh, you know, we just want to, you know, we want to make sure that the temptations are limited. Um, but Adoption of technology, you know, I tend, to, I tend to think it can go either way, whether it's the forbidden fruit or whether it's the how you're raised is how you'll be type of a scenario. A lot of it depends on the attitude that the parents have towards it. You know, if it becomes something where it is frightening, where it is, a, it, where it is off limits instead of simply discouraged, uh, that, that tends to, you know, push that the forbidden fruit of, well, you know, I really want this because it's, it's illicit. Um, whereas if it's simply an example set of, you know, we just really don't, you know, it's not that they're bad per se, it's that we don't need to use them all the time. We don't need to, we don't need to make these things the focus of our life. I believe those kinds of lessons will absolutely stick and help with a child to not become, you know, just immersed in that technological world.
We're yeah. taking, and Jonathan, go ahead. if I might add a bit to that, is that, that I, I thoroughly agree, very reasonable thinking. And I think the key for me is that when kids see that it is something that, that, they can, that it can be used to enhance their lives, but not, some, not a tool of expediency for parents. And this is a big thing for me. I wrote a blog post a few years back called um, I, I, I iPhone Abuse, where parents these days, when kids start to get a little cranky or bored at their dinner or, or out somewhere, they just hand them, hand them an iPhone. And it, it, it's, it's basically medicating them technologically. And the problem with this is that kids then become, um, become conditioned to whenever they get a little bored or a little cranky, that they'll be entertained or they will be placated in some way. And as adults, we don't have that option. And so I think parents, technology has enabled parents to more readily placate their children. And that is in the parents' best interest. It makes life easier for them, but it's not in the long-term best interest of the children. We're talking to Access Utah today about parenting in our online world. There are some advantages, of course, but there are some uh, disadvantages, some problems, some concerns. And we're opening the phone lines now. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, hope to have your experience. What are your concerns? What is your particular question? Maybe your success story. What has worked for you? The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can reach us by email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or on Twitter, uh, hashtag uh, Access Utah. Uh, do we put too much information about our kids out there on blogs, Facebook, etc.? Uh, how do we keep your kids safe in an online environment? We're going to turn to those topics and hope to hear your experience as well following the break. 1-800-826-1495. We're talking with Dr. Jim Taylor with the Trium Group and with Jonathan Choate with SD7 Technology. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Human Resources. Waste not. Install a rain sensor on your irrigation controller so your system won't run when it's raining. Also, install water-wise fixtures and appliances. Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org/publicworks. Programming on Utah Public Radio is also made possible in part by the Utah Shakespeare Festival, presenting Cole's Park Porter's Anything Goes, with seven other productions June through October 2013 in Cedar City. www.bard.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about parenting in an online world. What are your concerns? What are your success stories? We'd love to get your experience. What are you dealing with? And how are you uh, trying to raise your child uh, in the best way that you know how with uh, some of the dangers, some of the disadvantages, also advantages of our plugged-in world? How do you keep your kids safe in an online environment? Uh, Do you think today's technology diverts kids away from better pursuits? Or does it provide them with valuable skills? Uh, do you worry about the time, amount of time your child spends in front of a computer, television, cell phone? We know that national averages are, are, I think, concerning to most parents. Should you unplug your child from the online world? We've talked about that briefly, but uh, maybe you have a different uh, 
um, experience and a, a different attitude. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or you can reach us at upraxis at gmail.com on Facebook as well, and uh, you can tweet us as well uh, at uh, Access Utah. We're talking with Jonathan Choate with SD7 Technologies in the Cache Valley area and uh, Dr. Jim Taylor, who's with the uh, Trium Group. He is recognized for his work in psychology performance in business, sport, and parenting. Uh, his Among his books is Raising Generation Tech, Preparing Your Children for a Mute, Media-Fueled World. Um, let me start out this segment with an experience. Um, I, I just read a blog post from a friend of mine, who, uh, and her blog is fairly popular among at least among her friends she's she's a very good writer and and you know shares things about her life and uh, it probably goes beyond her friends but she recently uh, sent out a post saying that uh, she's going to take uh, her blog private she's going to still do a, a, a public post but anything to do with her daughter now is including pictures and any information is going to be on the private post because she got worried about too much information about her daughter being out there I wonder, Dr. Taylor, do you do you see concern? Do you share some of those concerns that we're putting just too much information out there about our kids? Well, I think parents in our in our culture these days there's a degree of of child um, uh, exhibitionism. We want our, to sh- share the, our, the, how wonderful our kids are with the world, and I think there are dangers there. There, I think statistically speaking, the chances of privacy issues coming up with children are, are pretty slim whether it's abduction or, or uh, being in contact with somebody in an inappropriate way, still pretty darn slim, that's for sure. But nonetheless, we want to send a message about what is acceptable because we also hear stories up in Marin here, here north of San Francisco. An eighth-grade girl was sending uh, inappropriate pictures of herself to her boyfriend, which then got sent out and, and proliferated. And so for me, I, the key is for, ki- for parents to teach their kids that, that what can happen, because it's no longer our unit. The children's universe used to be their community. Now it is literally um, the world. And so when something gets out there, it's not coming back. And lives have been ruined. We hear it all the time because too much information of whatever sort, whether a photo or a tweet or whatever, um, goes out into the into the into cyberspace, and it's not coming back. And Jonathan, I uh, I hear this from you all the time. You, I know you you preach this. It, it, it's the permanence of the information we put out. Yeah, there. Ab- absolutely. Anything that's put out, regardless of whether you think it's private, regardless of whether you think you deleted it, you didn't, and it's not. There is a way to get around it if somebody is determined or accidentally or whatever it happens to be. So you just simply assume that anything that you post is available to anybody who wants to see it. And that's a good rule of thumb. Now, obviously, you just don't want to take that and say, well, because it's, you know, anything I put out there, I'm assuming it's public, therefore I will do nothing to try to restrict it. That's the wrong way to, to think of that. You know, taking a, blog, uh, taking a blog private is a good example of just simply trying to, to limit that access. But really it comes down to, you know, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't put it on the uh, public side if it's inappropriate for public, it should be inappropriate for private. You know, if it's just something where you just want to keep it amongst friends because you think, well, this isn't of interest to the larger group, uh, you know, then that's that's fine. But I really think that we all overshare significantly. Um, you know, if you know, if, if it's pictures of your kids while you're going on vacation, hey, look, we're at Disneyland. You know, other than telling everybody you're not at home, that's not an issue. But it's where you start sharing. 
uh, the troubles that your children have been having with the world or, you know, especially when they get to be teenagers and they're going to see them. Um, that I think really can cause some significant backlash of, you know, private things are, they're, they're private. You don't have to share it with the world. I, I know as my wife is a blogger, so I've experienced this firsthand and we've had a lot of, you know, back and forth as far as is something, is that appropriate to share as that is not, I tend to come down on the not side a lot more than she does. And we have to compromise on that. Uh, and I wonder, just following up with, with this, a follow up with both of you, first of all, Jonathan, um, we, I think the reason we love social media is the social part of it, right? We, we want yeah, to, we want to share. So how do you I parse like out? seeing the, you know, the pictures of the little kids with playing with the puppies as you know, I, cause I, they're friends. I know them. I like to see that their kids are doing it, but I also look at people and see what they share sometimes and go, yeah, that probably shouldn't have been shared. Mm. Is it just common sense? It. Maybe it's not common enough, but yes, some sense should be taken. Mm-hmm. Dr. Taylor, I want to follow up with, with something you were you were saying that, that um, you know you know I was concerned and with my friend, uh, I shared her concerns that uh, that perhaps the you know information she was sharing was perhaps could become a danger. You went on to talk about something that maybe is even should be more of concern, uh, which is the kids themselves um, posting on social media and experiencing new friendships, in quotes, on, on social media. Mm-hmm. And- yes, well, I think one thing we, we have to recognize is that bad decision-making, doing stupid things, is not a new phenomenon among children. Uh, kids have always done stupid things. But what I would suggest I never is that did. the never. potential damage, the blast area... <laughs> has grown significantly because of the, the growth of technology. It's now easier and faster to do stupid things than it was a long time ago. I mean, it used to be, for example, if, if a teenage boy broke up with his, his teenage girlfriend, she wanted to, and, and uh, he would write some letter, and he would write it, and he'd put it in an envelope, and he would stick in the mail, and it would sit there overnight, and then he'd maybe decide, okay, maybe it's not such a good idea to write that, to write that letter, so he goes out to the post office and takes it out. But now, in 140 uh, characters, um, in a fit of anger or hurt or whatever, someone can send an email or, or a text or what have you, and, and it's out there. So that it, because of the speed of technology, there's less time to sit back and, and make deliberate, thoughtful decisions, which, as you probably know, um, executive functioning in the prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that's essential for regulating, controlling, and managing behavior. doesn't develop until people are in their early 20s. So kids are behind the eight ball already when it comes to making decisions, and technology simply accentuates the, the, the potential damage one can do from making those bad decisions which kids are initially wired for. So what do you do? You sit down with your kids and, I guess, talk about it? That's, is that the advice? Absolutely, and that's why I go back to the idea that it's not about technology. It's about the values, attitudes, and beliefs, and life skills that parents raise their children in terms of how they raise their children. If you raise kids who are good decision-makers, they're not as likely to do some of the things that kids so often do with technology. And I think on top of that is to be involved in it as a parent. Uh, You know, if your children realize that every tweet they send, every post they do on Facebook— they're doing with their parents seeing. You know, my children, uh, the older ones are now allowed to have a Facebook account, but I'm their friend. 
and I am allowed to veto any friends that they get, and I have their passwords, etc. So they know anything that they post, Dad's gonna see it, or he can see it. I'm, you know, I may miss it, but you know, and they don't have Twitter accounts yet. It, you know, it's they haven't really wanted them. Fortunately, I haven't. It hasn't been a big issue. But I think that there's no anonymity. There's no I'm just talking to my friends when you're pub posting in these public forums. Just that thought, I think could help make a lot of kids realize, you know, maybe I shouldn't post that because my, you know, it's not that somebody might see it who might tell somebody who might tell somebody who might tell my parents. It's they're going to see it as soon as I do it. Do you, Dr. Taylor, do you advocate the, that same level of involvement in, in, your, in your kids' social media activities? Well, I think the trust is earned and responsibility is earned. And so, yes, there's no doubt that parents should be very involved in that. I think it should be also, it shouldn't be um, a secret, though, because I, I think that's a violation of trust. Yeah, absolutely. They, they have to know firsthand this is exactly the way it is. Very much so, Jonathan. And, and so, so as parents be involved to be able to monitor and guide, because parents need to play that active role of guidance and supervision. And as kids demonstrate their ability to be responsible, and, and to be thoughtful and deliberate, then they, you can give them more rain. Because ultimately, in the end, when, whenever they leave the house, whether it's at 18 or 22 or whenever, or 30, unfortunately, that happens these days too often, um, they're on their own. So if they don't learn to be responsible for themselves, then they're not going to be able to survive out there. We're talking with uh, Dr. Jim Taylor, uh, who's with Trium Group, uh, author of several books, including Raising Generation Tech, Preparing Your Children for a Media-Fueled World. We're also talking with uh, tech-savvy parent Jonathan Choate, who's with SD7 Technology Group. We're talking about parenting in an online world, and we're looking for your story, your concern. Perhaps you have a suggestion for us. The number is 1-800-826-1495, one 826 1495 or you can reach us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. About 15 minutes left in this conversation. Uh, I wonder, uh, first, Jonathan, with this question, uh, I think parents in, in today's world, as you were saying, gain some ability to know what your kids are up to, right, before than we had before. You perhaps also lose some of that ability as well as your kids. Yeah, it's a, it's a trade-off. We, we have the ability to to see the things that are, you know, as long as we're aware of the types of activity, you know, we know they have a smartphone, we know they have a Facebook account, we know they may have a Twitter account for some people, etc. You know, there's also monitoring tools that you can put on through most cell phone carriers where you can get a copy of every sent and received text that's sent to you in a, you know, an email digest. You can, you know, you can get GPS tracking on the phones. All of these types of things you can add on as necessary. And I do agree that it's it's based on age and responsibility as far as how far you're going to go. You know, a 13-year-old is going to have a different set of rules than a 17-year-old, um, depending upon the, you know, track record the 17-year-old has. Sometimes it might be the opposite. Um, but uh, now I've completely lost my train of thought. But <laughs> um, I think we do have this ability to watch, but it's also something that we have to we, we can't rely upon other things to do it for us. We have to actively seek out these ways to be involved with children, um, you know, and, and be a part of that online interaction. So it's not like we're Big Brother watching over their shoulder. 
Um, it's we're part of that. You know, they're posting, you know, and we'll put, you know, again, my kids have Facebook. They don't have Twitter or the other thing. So Facebook is the good example. You know, they'll post on Facebook and I'll comment on what they're doing. So they know that I'm actively involved in in what they're posting and that they see that I'm actually monitoring it. But I'm not monitoring it as a spy cam over their shoulder. I'm monitoring as it I want to participate in their life. Dr. Taylor, I wonder if you could follow up with this because we, you know, you've been talking about trust. We've been talking about trust. You want to foster that trust. On the other hand, both kids and parents continue, you know, have advancing technology. That's sort of this arms race. And I wonder, uh, you know, how you score those two things. Well, I think that the problem is that very often most parents, in fact, are are outmanned and outgunned, if you will, metaphorically speaking, um, with technology. Because the fact is, kids are more, in general, more technologically savvy, and also we lead incredibly busy lives, and something often has to drop off, and parents often aren't as involved as Jonathan indicates they should because they just don't have the time or the energy. And, and that's, where, that's where kids get into trouble, because there's one researcher who suggests that the reason why kids spend so much time um, with social media is because they, ha- they no longer have any place to hang out. They're not allowed to go to the local park or the street corner or the mall because their parents are so terrified that something bad is going to happen to them. Even though, statistically speaking, think, children have never been safer. And so kids go online because that's their, that's their place, place to hang out and, and be in touch. And I think the more parents can trust their kids and give their kids opportunities to go and actually interact with other kids directly, um, kids are going to have less of a need to do the other stuff because, because kids need that opportunity to interact with their peers. And if they're not given that opportunity, they're going to find other ways because kids are incredibly resourceful and they're going to find ways to get around their parents just like we did when we were kids before there was technology. Hmm. We're talking with Dr. Jim Taylor from Trium Group and uh, Jonathan Choate uh, from SD7 Technology Group. And we're talking about parenting in an online world. We're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about just the, the time, sheer time spent in front of these screens. And if it's of concern to you as a parent, how do you, how do you get the kids away from, from those screens? Complicated fact, Dr. Taylor was just, tearing, was just saying uh, parents are uh, scared to send their kids maybe where they used to send them. The number is 1-800-826-1495, or you can reach us at upraxis at gmail.com. Previously on Car Talk. My husband Charles walks in and says, I fixed the Volvo again, let's go for a ride. <laughs> again. <laughs> All right, let's, let's go get a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> so I walk outside and my jaw hits the ground. He cut the top off of the car. <laughs> I've got a chop top Volvo. Don't miss the fun this week. Join us for Car Talk. Saturday mornings at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is folk singer Michael Jonathan inviting you to the next Wood Songs broadcast. It's all about using music in your community. We have Ken Waldman from Alaska, the great songwriter Cy Con, and Grammy Award winner Tom Chapin. If it's the last trip home, this could be the last trip home. It's music and conversation on the next broadcast of the Wood Songs, Old Time Radio Hour.
You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with uh, Jonathan Choate, who is a parent in the Cache Valley area, works with SD7 Technology Group. By the way, uh, his wife, Laura Lee, was uh, going to be with us, uh, but uh, she's under the weather, so uh, get well, Laura Lee. Um, and uh, Dr. Jim Taylor from the Trium Group, author of several books, is uh, including on parenting, is with us as well. I want to talk about just the sheer time that kids uh, these days are spending in front of the screens of whatever kind, be it cell phone or computer or, or, or gaming uh, screens. Uh, I believe the statistic, you can correct me, Dr. Taylor, we threw out in the beginning of the program, seven hours a day in front of non-school-related screens, is that? Seven, seven and a half hours on average. Seven and a half hours, which is just staggering. Uh, so. And, I mean, it's hard to believe that there's that much time in the day. And what it suggests to me is I'm a big believer in that kids develop certain habits when they're young. And so if the habit is to constantly spend time in front of a computer or another kind of screen, that's time to not spend doing other things. And I'm also a big believer that social skills, interpersonal skills, they're skills and that they need to be practiced to be, to be developed. And so getting kids, if kids are on, on the computer, even if it's tweeting back and forth, they're not engaging in real flesh-and-blood interactions, which are, I think are essential for later success in relationships. Hmm. I wanted to read this. This is from an article um, <clears throat> by Michael Liedke, and uh, the, the thrust of the article is the uh, return of Arrested Development on Netflix. This caught my eye, though. I'll, I'll just quote. By expanding its library of content, Netflix is hoping people will decide to spend their idle time on its Internet video service rather than play video games, fraternize on Facebook, and surf cable or satellite TV or watch a DVD. Uh, and then it goes on to say, we want our members to choose Netflix in these moments of truth. And uh, going back by bringing back Arrested Development um, this weekend, Netflix is also trying to prove that people still want to see quality entertainment even when the weather is getting nicer, the days are getting longer. In other words, you know, Netflix, and I'm just, this just happened to be Netflix. It's any media outlet. They're trying to get you out from under the sunshine and back in the house and, uh, and looking at uh, content. I wonder, Jonathan Choate, what uh, the seven and a half hours, that, that, seems, that just seems surprising, it, it seems is. staggering. Uh, how do you get your kids uh, out, from, uh, out from in front of these screens? No, i got to say, the first thing is, you know, as a, as a parent, I think where you choose to live should be more about the children rather than you. I know this is completely not really the part about technology, but make sure that there is appropriate other things for them to do. We talked about right. parents not letting their kids go to the park because they think it's dangerous. Okay, then don't live in a dangerous neighborhood. I mean, I know that seems that seems silly, but you know, a deliberate choice of I'm going to raise my kids where it's good for kids to be. And where we just moved to a new neighborhood, we moved from an area that was on a busy street, and we had to be a lot more conscious about exactly where the kids were every second. And now we're in this secluded little idyllic, you know, uh, 50s neighborhood. It's, it's wonderful, and we can just kind of let them roam. And we still pay attention, and our little escape artist still runs off, and we have to go searching for him. But it's a very different mindset because they have things to do beyond sitting in front of the TV and the computer. So you can't and expect that, them that, and, to... And, and that's a key thing, Jonathan. It's, it's, and not everybody has the choice of where to live, and wh where you live sounds wonderful. But it's, it's less where you live so much as giving kids alternatives. Because kids are bored, and there's, I, there's some biblical statements like uh, idleness is the devil's playground. Well, if kids are bored, they're going to get into trouble. 
they did before there was technology, they will with technology. Um, it just seems like it's easier to get into trouble with technology. So parents can't just take away technology, take away the screens. They need to give them things that they can do, whether it's athletic things, artistic things, whatever it is. Parents need to help kids find ways to entertain themselves. I, I completely agree. I wanted to add to that on top of that is to make sure that the technology that they have available is not just for idleness. One of my children is in an online school, so he is spending multiple hours in the computer with the headset on, the video, you know, the, the camera's going. He's interacting with his class online. And when school's out, he is jumping off that computer because he wants to get away from it now because it's not just this toy. It's also, you know, it's teaching him that this is a tool and we're going to use it. And then, hey, let's move on and do something else. So he jumps off of there. Now he still plays the, you know, video games and he still does the other stuff. But it's not like he's anxious to run and the computer is this reward. You know, uh, you know we limit what television shows that they or you know channels they can watch if he's sitting there watching the discovery channel and there's nothing else that he's supposed to be doing that's not as big a deal as if he's sitting and watching something that's just you know uh, you know brain junk i can't think of a good way to describe it but <laughs> that's pretty good brain junk uh dr taylor i wonder um if you want your kids to get out from you know in front of the screen probably as a parent you need to do that as well right lead by example yeah, well, I, one of my previous books is about the role of messages in kids' lives. And I, my basic thesis is this, that children become the messages they get the most. And where do they get the most messages these days? Two places. One, their parents, and two, from popular culture, through media. And so if parents are sending the same message as popular culture and, and media, kids are doomed. They're going to go to the dark side of too much technology use, materialism, consumerism, values of greed and wealth and fame and, and celebrity and so on. Um, so parents need to step up. It's harder being a parent these days because of technology. Because it used to be that our homes were, were mildly permeable membranes through which only a little bit of information flowed. Now, now there are no walls. There are no membranes. Information is flowing in and out through the Internet cable. And so parents need to make that extra effort to make sure that they're sending healthy messages about technology use. And I think the problem is that many parents aren't. Um, I don't know if you've seen this research, that, but surprisingly there's been an increase in childhood injuries the last five years. And though they don't know for sure why, researchers believe it's because parents and caregivers are not paying attention. And you see this in playgrounds all the time where parents and caregivers are on their smartphones talking or tweeting away instead of watching their kids and making sure they're safe. Hmm. Uh, here's an email that came in. This is from Greg and Logan. Uh, what are some things you would recommend kids have, or what are some of the opportunities that you would like to have your children participate in online? Dr. Taylor first. You know, I, 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 that doesn't say specifically what age, but I don't think kids need to be spending any real amount of time um, up until, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old. Sure, they can watch some TV and play some games, but it should be the exception, not the rule. And for anybody who says that this is an educational game or an educational show, that's bull. These shows are made to sell things, to, to make the big companies money like Netflix. And so is there, is there any real value in these things? Maybe. But, you know, reading a book, drawing with a pencil and paper, going out and getting dirty with sticks and rocks, kids just don't need these things. They, what they need to do is go out and interact with the world without it being mediated by a screen. 
And I apologize if I sound a little bit overly passionate about this, mm. but I really believe strongly in this. Yeah, no, the passion's good. Jonathan. No, and I agree. Um, I think we, you know, I think your example used earlier in the program of the iPhone babysitters, or, you know, where we're appeasing and just, you know, hand them the phone to keep, to distract them rather than interacting with them, rather than finding out what the problem is or listening to them or just simply disciplining them, which occasionally should be done. Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek. It should be done more than occasionally. But, um, you know, it, it all depends on the age group. Yes, the small children, if you've got TV in your home, they're going to be watching some of it. And, you know, I occasionally do let the kids as a, you know, as a reward, as a good job, sit and play Angry Birds on my phone or tablet or something like that. But for the most part, kids shouldn't have their own technology. It's not theirs. It's the families, and they get to use it when they've earned it. Um, but for older kids, you can't necessarily, you know, and I wish we would have had an age group in the question. You can't necessarily do it that way. You have to introduce it. You have to teach them that responsibility. You know, when I see a nine-year-old with a brand new smartphone and a data plan, I cringe. I think that's totally inappropriate. It is, it is this big wide pipe that they haven't learned how to handle. So you got to introduce it on, you know, in stages, in levels that are specific to your child, their personality. You know, uh, it, it, there's no hard and fast timeline. It's use your best judgment call. But I would always err on the side of not providing something rather if it's questionable. You're uh, listening to Access Utah, and we have another five minutes left. We're talking about parenting in an online world, I'm talking with Dr. Jim Taylor from uh, Trium Group and uh, Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technologies. Uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to have your experience, your question, 1-800-826-1495, or you can reach us at upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as well, upraxis at gmail.com. Dr. Taylor, I want to follow up on this idea of teaching kids and helping them hone their interpersonal skills. Uh, do you think in this, you know, this online world that uh, kids are losing some of that ability? Well, well, that unfortunately, with because technology, the internet has only been around for about fifteen to seventeen years. We don't know for sure yet, but clearly, um, interpersonal skills are skills. And the thing about uh, technology is it's, it's missing pieces. It's, um, it's in a way, um, interaction light, because you miss facial expressions, um, emotional content, voice inflection. So many things are missing from, the, uh, from, uh, from relationships and interactions that go on online. And we need those things to develop to learn how to deal with them. And it's so easy these days, if kids get angry or frustrated, they'll just hit delete or hit exit. And, but in the real world, you can't necessarily do that. And so the more time, again, this is a recurring theme for me, that the more time kids are spending in this sort of faux world of, of interactions, this limited world of, of online interactions, the less time they're spending in real interactions. And uh, just as a little aside, I have a running route near my house where I pass a high school and a middle school, and I constantly see groups of kids sitting on a picnic table or walking along, and often they're not talking to each other. They're, pl they're, 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 they're punching away, they're typing away on their phones, and maybe they're, they're texting themselves even though they're next to each other, I'm not sure, but, but that's time that they could be spending actually having human interaction. And everywhere you go, you see kids, phones in hand, almost like bolted to their hands, and they're constantly checking their phones, when the reality is they don't need to be doing that, and they shouldn't be doing that, in my view. 
Jonathan, I wondered your ideas on this. And I preface this by saying that um, on campus here, Utah State University, uh, it's almost 100% of students, they get out of class, and it's almost like a salute or it's a, it's a ritual. You get your phone out. And you start walking while looking <laughs> at your phone. Yep. And you know what? I'm completely guilty of this. When we get out of the studio, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to check my email. Granted, I'm supposed to be at work, so, you know, <laughs> I've got to find out what's going on. But it's the same kind of thing. We're going to check and see what happened during that time period. You know, what did we miss? Um, and I think that's actually probably the most difficult part that we're going to see with teenagers um, is that... This constant, like, I've got to be constantly plugged in and constantly seeing what's going on in this other realm. This, you know, this need to uh, have this constant flow of information. Um, And, you know, and it's something that, you know, adults, we have the same thing and we're learning and we're progressing. And I'm just, you know, personal experience wise, you just spent yesterday, the whole family, we spent the yesterday out in the yard, you know, trying to get it, you know, in shape. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, that's, you know, fairly traditional. And having all the kids coming and helping, I was laying edging bricks on the yard. And I had a gaggle of about a dozen kids from the neighborhood all around bringing me little shovelfuls of sand and handing me bricks and things like that. And those types of interactions, I feel like we're losing. Um, And... You know, I guess maybe it's uh, grass is always greener on the other side, rose-tinted glasses, whatever cliche you want to use. But I feel like the the technology has the potential to lose a lot of these interactions that we have as a community, as neighbors, as just simply being outside and get a little vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Um, And teenagers, I think, are the most susceptible to that because they. And I agree, Jonathan. Because peer acceptance is probably the singular most powerful drive that kids have. And these days, if kids are surrounded by other kids who are constantly checking, tweeting, this and that, then they're going to feel like they're missing out. And you don't want to raise social lepers. And, and so it's, it's really with older kids helping them find a balance between wanting to feel accepted and be a part of a group, but also realizing that a lot of stuff is a bunch of junk. And, and so they can make deliberate choices about how they want to spend their time and who they want to spend their time with. And I think that deliberate choices is the key there. You know, I think back, and I, I've, ma- I've made the statement for many, many years that, you know, children should go home after fifth grade and come back in about ninth grade and just stay home during that year, you know, that section, because they are, everything is about acceptance in the, you know, the friends and, and the cliques, and every single thing is it's this social new world, and they, um, you know, it's all about what are my friends going to think about this? And, and I tend to look at that, you know, the technology side of things it just adds to that because now I'm not only, not only are just the people right around me seeing what I'm doing, but everybody in the whole school or everybody in my circle of friends is going to know everything that I'm doing. And if I'm not updating Farmville, if I'm not posting smiley faces and likes on their posts, then they're not going to like me. And all of those things are completely absurd, but that's the way they feel. And, you know, when you're a teenager, feeling is everything. Mm. So, you know, teaching them to to be a standalone person, to have that ability to say, no, that's dumb. I don't want to do that um, instead of just simply going with the flow. That's a hard thing to teach. I'm not saying I'm great at it myself, but 
that's, I think, the goal to you know make, get them into adulthood. Let's go to our uh, caller, uh, Caitlin in St. George. Caitlin, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thanks. Um, I I guess my question kind of goes to um, just how how adults should react maybe to to things that they see teenagers or children doing online. Um, I guess the example I'm thinking of is um, someone posted the link for a, uh, a photographer. They posted the link to her blog where she talked about um, she was getting ready to do some senior photos at the end of the year for a group of girls at the local high school. And she, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or Facebook, but she online saw these these girls commenting about another another student and the things that they were saying were just awful. And she took a screenshot of their comments, um, sent it to the girls' parents, and said that I I won't I won't do pictures for these girls because I refuse to try to take to try to make beautiful these people who are doing things so ugly. And I just wondered um, if I thought it was awesome, but I wondered if that is is maybe an appropriate thing, or if she should have just left it because she was obviously not a parent of any of these girls. Just let's let's yeah. Think about that. Oh, thanks, thanks, Caitlin, for that. Let, and uh, we'll take it to both Dr. Taylor first, and then Jonathan Joe second. But ask you to be fairly yeah, brief. I, just I'm, have a couple I'm with minutes. You. Left. I think it's a wonderful thing that she did because one of the great things that kids need to learn in life—a great life lesson—is that their actions have consequences. And if kids never—and these days, parents don't always know what their kids are doing because of the use of technology. So if the larger community steps in and says, "No, you know what? This isn't appropriate," then kids are going to get that message. So, so I totally support what she did. Jonathan. Yep. And I've got to agree. Um, you know, not taking the pictures, I don't know. It depends on the circumstances. But definitely informing the parents, letting them know what's going on. I, I look at that, and it saddens me a little that somebody else had to tell the parents what was going on there. You know, proactive. And, and I realize, especially when they get to be older, this is seniors. They're a lot better at hiding things. They're a lot better at doing the other stuff. But um, it happens a lot, and I'd really like to see parents aware that it's happening proactively rather than reactively. And uh, we have uh, run out of time. We uh, will have to leave it there. This discussion continues. You can uh, continue to comment at uh, upr.org, upr.org, and on our uh, email as well, upraxis at gmail.com. Dr. Jim Taylor is with Trium Group. He's author of several books, including Raising Generation Tech, Prepare Your Children for a Media-Fueled World. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been a great enjoyment. Thank you. And Jonathan Choate with SD7 Technology Group. Thank you. Thank you. It's always great to be here. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about uh, accommodations we make as drivers and as bikers. Uh, How do you stay safe as a biker? Do you feel safe when biking and as a driver? How do you feel? And uh, is your town accommodating bicycling? Bikes and cars on the program tomorrow. We hope you'll join us. For producers uh, Haley Housley and uh, Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today. Waste not. Install a rain sensor on your irrigation controller so your system won't run when it's raining. Also, install water-wise fixtures and appliances. Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. This is Utah Public Radio.
KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD1 91.5 Logan.